Hello, and welcome to the podcast devoted to helping you win the race Christ has marked out for you. Today, we begin our February series entitled Reconstructing Manhood and Womanhood in a Culture Where They Are Broken. As we sift through the culture's various views of gender and sexuality, we find views that seem more fair, more inclusive, more enlightened, just flat-out superior to old-fashioned ideas of gender that pretty much confined women to the kitchen and bedroom. Modern views of gender seem deliciously superior to obsolete, stereotypical, confining views of the roles for women and men. However, I'm reminded of an old illustration about something that looks delicious but is lethal. There is a tasty variety of Asian mushroom called the patty straw. However, to the casual observer, a mushroom called the death cap is so similar that it is equally mouthwatering. But eating the death cap mushroom can be fatal. Similarly, gender theory looks so fair, so egalitarian, so appetizing to a generation that wants to be free from outdated thinking that it is being swallowed by many of today's Christians, causing them great destruction and even sometimes a fatal loss of belief in Christianity itself. This episode seeks to give a clear description of gender theory so that we can better recognize it, refute it with science, logic, and common sense, and teach our children and grandchildren to do the same. Thanks for joining us today for Season 4, Episode number 6 of Mission Focused Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yeagle. As we begin a series on broken masculinity and femininity, or any subject for that matter, it's worth remembering what Paul wrote to the Ephesian Christians. This I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. From Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 19. Notice the phrase at the very beginning, no longer. Whenever Christians have a discussion about the moral brokenness in our culture, we begin with the finger pointing to ourselves. We have been shown incredible mercy by a holy God and must therefore be full of mercy toward others. Moreover, the master we seek to emulate had so many notorious sinners as friends that he was known as the friend of tax collector cheats and sinners. As Jesus reached toward the sexually broken woman at the well of Samaria, we must reach toward those in the LGBTQ life to affirm their worth as those made in the image of God and to defend them in case they are abused by others. But Jesus' compassion led him usually to do more than accept and befriend the sexually broken. He usually went on to confront them with the truth. Go call your husband, he said to the Samaritan woman. Go and sin no more, he said to the woman caught in adultery. Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery, he said to men who were so astonished that they wondered if it was worth it to ever get married. Jesus was full of compassion, but he did not pull his punches. 
he hits squarely in the face. Tolerating destructive behavior is not love. We need to help the rising generation understand, as Paul spelled out above, that there is a clear link between sexual brokenness and being darkened in their understanding. Nowhere do we see that more clearly than in the gender theory movement. Compassion for those enslaved to the sexual brokenness in our culture does not mean remaining silent about the destructive worldviews enslaving so many naive people, including Christian sons and daughters today. This episode takes a hard, factual look at the ideology most responsible for shaping the rising generation's attitudes toward gender and sexuality in the 21st century. So let's look at a collection of tenets of gender theory. If you point out differences in males and females, you are a sexist. At birth, the assignment of your gender was arbitrary, perhaps based on white patriarchy that labeled half the population females, the group that would not own land. Your gender is 100% whatever you decide to make it, and it is not related to your biological characteristics, despite the scientific facts. Rejecting your own biological gender called gender identity disorder until gender theory ideologues got the term changed in 2013, is now called gender dysphoria. This makes the cause of the disorder not you, but the society that causes your confusion because it does not affirm your chosen gender identity. An adolescent girl's self-diagnosis while going through puberty that the cause of her problems is that she is actually a boy in a girl's body must be accepted. But in no other field of medicine is a child's self-diagnosis accepted automatically as medically correct. No doctor treating a teen girl with anorexia would accept the teen's delusion as the correct diagnosis. Continuing with the tenets of gender theory... Affirming care, mandated by the Biden administration, requires medical professionals to affirm a child's wish to take puberty blockers, cross-gender hormones, and perhaps have gender change surgery. Otherwise, she will commit suicide. When parents question whether their daughter is capable of making such a life-altering decision, gender theory advocates say, would you rather have a living transgender kid? or a dead daughter. Transgender rights mean that the rest of society must affirm transgender people's wishes to be called by pronouns that do not match their biological identity, allow biological boys into girls' locker rooms, and enter biological girls' competitions. Those who resist are branded transphobes. Transgender people's discomfort with having to conform to the rest of the world, which is binary, is proclaimed as a violation of their rights. Transgender theory in Western culture is superior to all other cultures, all the major religions of the world, and 4,000 years of human history in which gender was seen as binary. The intersex condition, formerly called hermaphroditism, the experience of being born with parts of both male and female reproductive systems, proves that gender is fluid and not binary. Finally, parents must ignore 
all the scientific research of embryology showing the impact of testosterone and estrogen in shaping male and female brains and behavior. Instead, they must be gender neutral in how they raise their child. Let's look at the historic facts about the origin of gender theory. First, Magnus Hirschfeld, born in 1868 in Prussia. He is widely considered to be the grandfather of the LGBTQ movement. He was a homosexual physician who, shortly after medical school, began exploring gay subcultures. In the 1920s, he was considered the world's most prominent sexologist. He founded the first ever gay and trans rights organization called the Scientific Humanitarian Committee. He argued in a court case, quote, homosexuality was part of the plan of nature and creation, just like normal love. He founded the World League for Sexual Reform. Among the purposes of the League, we read, quote, liberation of the marital relationship from church domination, application of the knowledge of eugenics toward improvement of the race through birth selection, and to free sex from being complicated by any sense of guilt. Following in his footsteps was a second primary leader, Harry Benjamin, born in 1895 in Germany. He was an endocrinologist and close colleague of Magnus Hirschfeld. Though born in Germany, he relocated to New York City in the 1920s and began offering hormone therapies to crossdressers and others who desired to live differently from the sex into which they were born. He stated, quote-unquote, sex is never 100% male or female. He wrote the medical textbook, The Transsexual Phenomenon, in which he argues that there are a spectrum of conditions requiring different treatments that ranged from hormone replacement therapy to surgical intervention. Harry Benjamin had paved the way for the second most influential of all gender theory advocates, Alfred Kinsey born in 1894 in New Jersey. Dubbed the father of the sexual revolution, he was a homosexual who hated his Methodist upbringing that repressed his desires. He began his career as a professor of zoology whose expertise was in wasps. His career as America's foremost sexologist began when asked to chair a committee to design a course on sexuality and marriage at Indiana University. Kinsey electrified the assembled students by announcing at the outset that there were only three types of sexual abnormality, abstinence, celibacy, and delayed marriage. In other words, normal humans are having sex all the time. In 1948, Kinsey published Sexual Behavior in the Human Male, and in 1953, Sexual Behavior in the Human Female. Standing beside researchers in white coats and armed with statistical charts, Kinsey sent this message, summarized by Dr. Miriam Grossman, Almost everyone in the country, male and female, is living a life of sexual experimentation, freedom, multiple partners, different sexes, not just heterosexual sex, different activities, even children and babies, and he claimed he had research to prove it. But years later... Researcher Judith Reisman completely debunked Kinsey's research, proving that the subjects of his research were not everyday Americans, but convicted sex offenders whom he visited in jails, as well as prostitutes. 
His research was all a fraud. More alarming than his fraud was Alfred Kinsey's research team's sexual abuse of children in the name of research. One table of Kinsey's research listed infants as young as two months old, up to boys the age of 14, noting how many quote-unquote orgasms these young boys were observed to have had. Kinsey held that so-called intergenerational sex, a polite euphemism for child rape, poses no serious harm to children. Even the New York Times reported Kinsey had had affairs with men, encouraged open marriages among his staff, stimulated himself with urethral insertion and ropes, and filmed sex in his attic. Talk about brokenness. Kinsey's fraudulent scientific research achieved his goal convincing everyday Americans that homosexuality and bisexuality are normal. These three men laid the foundation, but the first sexologist to use the word gender as distinct from one's biological sex, and the one universally recognized as the father of gender theory, was a man named John Money. He was born in 1921 in New Zealand. His field was psychology. He was raised in a home with an extremely abusive father, which seems linked to his own rejection of masculinity, saying, I suffered the guilt of being male. I wore the mark of man's vile sexuality. He was one of the core researchers at Kinsey's Institute for Sex Research and part of Harry Benjamin's research team on transsexualism as well. He wrote his dissertation at Harvard entitled Hermaphroditism, an inquiry into the nature of a human paradox. John Money came up with the theory that each of us is born a hermaphrodite psychologically. Nature means nothing so far as sexual identity. Money was not a medical doctor or even a biologist. His theory of behavior was divorced from biology. His team argued the sense of being a man or woman resulted not from hormones, gonads, chromosomes, or physical variables, but from the sex to which it was assigned. Money and his team chose the word gender as something psychologically distinguishable from biological sex. Money unmoored gender and gender roles from any attachment to physical reality or biology paving the way for transgender ideologues to argue gender is a social construct. Money was part of a surgical team that conducted the first headline-grabbing sex change surgery at Johns Hopkins. But he made his fame through the case of a pair of identical twins, Bruce and Brian Reimer. When they were to be circumcised, the machine accidentally burned off Bruce Reimer's penis. Their parents found out about John Money's claim that gender identity was totally about nurture and not nature. So John Money's gender-altering surgical team removed Bruce's testicles, constructed a sort of vagina, and started him on estrogen treatments. His parents renamed him Brenda and did not tell him about the surgery. John Money met regularly with the Reimer twins and reported on the way the treatments were going. For nine years, Money lied to the public that this case was a complete success. However, only a year after the Reimer family stopped meeting with Money, a documentary team investigating what happened with Brenda 
discovered that Money's reports were completely fabricated. Bruce was not at all happy about being Brenda, a girl. He was stealing his brother's trucks to play with and would pee standing up. When Brenda was finally told the truth and old enough to speak for himself, he began testosterone treatments to undo the estrogen shots forced on him. He had the breasts unnaturally imposed on him removed. He changed his name not back to Bruce, but to David. He picked that name, he said, because it symbolized that what he went through all those years was like David fighting Goliath, every day fighting who he felt he was. Sadly, history shows that the harm done to Bruce and Brian Reimer by the father of transgender theory, John Money, went way beyond engendering the psychological harm of a boy being told he is a girl for his first 12 years of life. Phil Gaetano, writing for the Arizona State University School of Life Sciences, discovered that John Money, during his private meetings with the Reimer twins, was sexually abusing them, the lurid details of which are not fitting for this podcast to mention. Perhaps this should not surprise us, since in his book, The Adam Principle, John Money sought to justify pedophilia by distinguishing between pedophilic sadism and affectional pedophilia. Brian Reimer, who suffered this sexual abuse with his brother, died of an overdose of antidepressants at age 36. Bruce, Brenda, David, married and adopted his wife's three children from a prior marriage, but at age 38, he committed suicide. Here are some takeaways from this history lesson. Number one, gender theory is the brainchild of very sexually broken people who had an agenda, the overthrow of sexual norms that would deem their personal sexual activity wrong. Magnus Hirschfeld was a gay activist. The two most influential, Alfred Kinsey and John Money, were pedophiles who would be charged in a court of law today as pedophiles. Number two, gender theory is based upon assertions not facts. That's vital to know. There is no legitimate scientific data to back them up. Alfred Kinsey's so-called normal sexual behavior was actually research done on sexual abusers. John Money's theory that gender identity was unrelated to biological factors was popularized by a psychologist who had zero experience as a scientist and biologist. Number three, gender theory is scientifically outdated. John Money's theory that gender identity comes 100% from nurture would have been laughed at if he set it forth in 2020 or even the year 2000. Since Money proposed this theory 50 years ago, enormous strides have been made in the biochemistry of the brain, showing how the presence of testosterone in the baby's brain changes the way it develops. Similar progress has been made in the field of endocrinology, showing the differences in the levels of testosterone and estrogen in males and females and their impact on behavior. NIH's Human Genome Project has confirmed what we already knew. Every one of the 30 trillion cells in the normal female body is marked XX and the male body XY. Fourth, gender theory advocates lie about their research. 
Alfred Kinsey falsified his research subjects. John Money falsified his research about the Reimer twins. Current gender theory advocates are lying about the research that proves that affirming care must be administered or kids questioning their biological gender will commit suicide. Those who want to change their gender come from a group that has numerous comorbidities, a group that already has a very high suicide rate. There is no evidence that gender blockers, cross-gender hormone treatments, or sex-altering surgery decreases that rate of suicide. None. Number five, disorders of the reproductive system, formerly called hermaphroditism and now called intersex, do not prove the existence of more than two genders any more than disorders of the heart or lungs prove there are two types of hearts and lungs. This rare birth disorder occurs in one birth per 10,000. That means that in my state, Maryland, statistically, in 2022, there would have been seven children born with sexual abnormalities and 68,493 births of girls and boys with male and female genitalia. No rational person could look at that data and conclude that biology teaches more than two genders. In sharp contrast to this very broken understanding of gender and sexuality is the glory of God's design. Let's just take a brief, quick look at that before we end today. First, the equality of Eve with Adam. In the creation account, woman shares equally in the dignity of being made in God's image. Woman shares equally the calling to vocation to use her gifts, to exercise dominion over creation in Genesis 1. Adam, in Genesis 2, is put into the garden to spend his labor to bring out the potential of everything in the garden, including especially Eve and her gifts. Adam is also put into the garden to protect Eve. In fact, the common grace understanding of manhood around the world is that men die to protect their wives and kids. When we are tempted to think that Eve being created Adam's partner makes her inferior to Adam, it is worth remembering the reason that every member of the Secret Service will take a bullet for the president, because the president's life is more important than his own. The second chapter of Genesis emphasizes and celebrates the differences of identity between Adam and Eve. Adam is made from the ground, given a name that means ground, Adamah, called to work the ground, and when he sins, what is cursed is the ground. Eve has a completely different identity. Eve is made from the man, is given a name, woman, Isha, because she came out of the man, Ish, is called to be a partner for the man, and when she sins, what is cursed is her relationship with the man and their kids. Well, this is just an intro to the rest of the month, but I want to close with a view of gender that is not shaped by the social media as ours has been. This is the view of a man named Matthew Henry. He wrote, The woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, 
but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected by him, and near his heart to be loved by him. To summarize this episode, as we begin a series reconstructing manhood and womanhood in a culture where they are broken, this episode's goal has been to paint a clear picture of gender theory, an ideology that is shaping more and more the rising generation. As we guide our loved ones into a biblical worldview of gender and sexuality, we must begin by teaching them that we always come to the discussion with grace and a determination to love well those in the LGBTQ life because we ourselves are broken sinners. But we must also teach our children that sexual brokenness leads to a darkened understanding, suppression of the truth of sexuality and gender. It is unwise to argue for the biblical view of gender and sexuality using an ad hominem argument that is attacking the character of your opponent. Nevertheless, we must help our children and grandchildren see how Paul's writing in Ephesians 4 corresponds to the truth about the founders of gender theory. These words again from Paul are, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. These words very accurately describe the three biggest shapers of gender theory. Number one, Magnus Hirschfeld, the grandfather of the LGBTQ movement, a homosexual physician who founded an organization with the stated purpose to free sex from being complicated by any sense of guilt. Number two, Alfred Kinsey, the father of the sexual revolution in America, a pedophile who committed child rape in his sexual experimentation. And number three, John Money, the father of gender theory, who was also a pedophile. The history of gender theory also reveals that it has no scientific basis at all. Not only was the original data to support it falsified, but Money's theory, articulated first by John Money in the 1970s, has been disproved repeatedly by the sciences of embryology, endocrinology, and cellular biology over the last 50 years. Our children and grandchildren need to know this, not so they have bullets in their gun to shoot down their LGBTQ friends, but so they understand for themselves how broken this gender theory is. We closed this episode by lifting our eyes to the glory of the design that gender theory attempts to destroy, God's magnificent design of mankind as male and female created differently to complete each other and so image the triune God. For further prayerful thought, number one, why is it important for Christians to always begin interaction with those who are sexually broken with humility and compassion? See your show notes for additional questions. Today's podcast is available in printed format, including 13 footnotes which document gender identity's origin on our website, forgingbonds.org. Also on this homepage is a link to an index of past podcast series and episodes that you might want to listen to when you have a chunk of free time. This link is also in your show notes. 
Next week, we continue our series, Reconstructing Manhood and Womanhood in a Culture Where They Are Broken, by looking at the brokenness that we ourselves bring into our marriage, which can cause the God-designed magnetism of wives to husbands to weaken. Thanks for joining us for today's episode.